What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? His name is Major. Oh, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's the takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? (laughs) The answer is yes. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. Those of you watching on CBSN, welcome to the Major Garrett office. Never to be confused with the Major Garrett dining room. This week, a completely special show. It's got nothing to do with politics or policy. It's got something to do with sports. Not just sports, but a personal hero of mine. Willie O'Ree. He was the first black player to play in the NHL. That was in 1958. Then he had a minor league hockey career in San Diego, my hometown. I watched Willie O'Ree play. He inspired me to play hockey. We start our story with Willie O'Ree, where it all began when he was called up to the pros. I was playing in, uh, in Quebec with the uh, Quebec Aces, and um, they were affiliated with the, with the Bruins. And um, I went to the Bruins uh, training camp in 1967, and then again in 1968. And then... Um, on January the 18th, 1958, uh, the Bruins called the Quebec Aces and says, we want O'Ree to meet the Bruins in Montreal to play two games against the Montreal Canadiens. Well, I had played against the Montreal Canadiens in exhibition games, but uh, not in a regular scheduled NHL game. So I arrived in uh, Montreal, and I was met there by uh, Coach Mill Schmidt and uh, General Manager Lynn Patrick. Uh, they sat me down and said, uh, Willie, we, we brought you up because we think you can add a little something to the club. Don't worry about anything else about just going out and playing your game. So, uh, you know, I go out and uh, we beat Canadians 3 uh, nothing. We shut them out, and that was a feat in itself. I, I, I didn't score any goals or no assists, but just to beat the Montreal Canadiens in the Montreal form on a Saturday night was just, it was just awesome. You having grown up in Canada, you knew what all of that meant. Oh, yes, yeah. I was... Uh, I was a uh, I was a Montreal I was a Montreal fan because I was I, I had played in their organization you know prior to uh, to coming with the Bruins, but when I went to the Bruins training camp in, in 1967 I became a 57 a, or 57 pardon me I became a Boston Bruins fan and uh, still are today. Was it different playing at that level? Could you tell the difference from your minor league experience to playing those first two games at the NHL level? Oh yeah, um, <clears throat> things were a lot quicker. You know, you, you got a pass, and you, you either had to make a pass or, or uh, do something with the puck, you know. It, it was just snap, snap, um, you know, back then. But uh, a few games, and I adjusted, and, uh, you know, um, I, uh, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed the time, you know, playing with the Bruins and the time I, I played in the, uh, in the NHL. Now, when Jackie Robinson made that move, he knew all about it, and he felt the weight of it and the significance of it. As I understand it, you weren't even aware of this history-making moment. When you made it, 
Not, not really. Uh, you know, when they, when they called me up, uh, you know, I, um, the goals that I set for myself were to play pro hockey and hopefully one day play in the NHL. And when the Bruins gave me the opportunity and, and brought me up, uh, you know, I didn't think any about anything about, you know, breaking, breaking the color barrier at that time. My main concern was to just play, uh, play a good game and, and represent the hockey club to the best of my ability. And, um, you know, I, after the game, um, I didn't recognize that I, I had broke the color barrier until I read it in the paper the, the next day. <laughs> And what did you think about that upon reading it? Oh, God, I, it felt great, you know, to, you know, to open the doors up and, uh, and break down barriers for not only um, black players, but players of color now that are, you know, that are playing in the league. Now, when you were a kid playing hockey in Canada, did you see many other kids who looked like you? No, no not really. Um, there, were, there were a couple other, you know, black kids that, that played, but uh, usually, um, the teams that I play on, I was only I was only black, you know, only black kid, and uh, I played with my brother on uh, international uh, um, uh, teams. Um, but um, you know, I just went out and just played hockey and uh, and uh, had fun. Because that is the national sport of Canada. Yes. If you want to play a sport in Canada, you play hockey. You play hockey. And when you played in the NHL. The two games that season, then 43 the next season. Right. Did you encounter any racial hostility? Oh, yeah. You know, from, uh, uh, from different players and, and fans in the players. stand. Different players? on Yeah, on the opposition. You know, but thanks to my older brother, who was not only my brother and my, my friend, but he was my mentor and um, taught me a lot of things that I would need to know if I was going to, you know, play pro and hopefully play in the NHL. And he said, uh, names will never hurt you, Willie, unless you let them. He says, um, you know, be proud of who you are. You can't change the color of your skin, and I don't think you'd want to. He says, if people can't accept you for the individual that you are, he says, that's their problem, not, um, not yours. But, yeah, I heard the racial remarks and um, racial slurs, and I fought a lot. You know, I fought because I had to, not because I wanted to, but I never fought because of racial remarks or slurs. I fought because guys, you know, speared me and butt-ended me. And, you know, back then we didn't wear any helmets, and I always tried to protect myself. But yeah, but it uh, it took a while, but uh, it got a little easier, and I, I finally gained the respect of uh, not only the players on the opposition, but you know fans in the stands. And as I read it, that was more common when you played teams in the states. Yes, yeah, um, you know I played in the original six. There were right. there were two teams from Canada, Toronto and Montreal, and in Boston, New York, Detroit, and Chicago. Uh, it was in Chicago and New York, uh, probably the uh, the worst problems I had but again I just wanted to go out and play hockey and uh, and represent the hockey club to the best of my ability and you mentioned that you fought because you had to but you never started a fight or engaged in a fight because someone said something to you on the ice. oh no no because I I knew I'd be in the penalty box all the time it was always a racial remark or a racial slur you know directed towards me and I I just let it one in one ear and out the other so people may not understand, but there's a little bit of chatter that goes on on the ice. When, when, guy, when you're getting ready for a face-off or you're in oh, a scrum, yeah. that's when you would hear it, right? Yeah, you'd hear it, yeah. And in the corner, you know, in the, in the corners, you know, you, you'd hear it. But again, I, uh, I just turned my, my ears off to that and, uh, and uh, just concentrated on playing hockey. You've met Jackie Robinson. Met him twice. You met him once as a youth. I was 14. Yeah, I was playing. Yeah, I was playing baseball in my hometown, Fredericton, 
And, Which is uh, in New Brunswick? Yeah, Frederick, New Brunswick. And um, we won the championship that year, and the reward was our team was going to be taken to New York to see the Empire State Building and Radio Music City Hall and all the tourist attractions. And I met him at Ebbets Field after the, uh, after the game and um, told Mr. Robinson that I not only, not only played baseball, but I played hockey. And he didn't realize that there were, you know, any, any black kids playing hockey. And I said, yeah, there's a few, Mr. Robinson. And we talked uh, for another three or four minutes. And then he said, well, whatever sport you decide, he says, you know, work hard. He says, there's no substitute for hard work. You know, so we leave. And um, I'm... In that moment when you're meeting Jackie Robinson, what are you feeling? Oh, I mean, it's, I was in awe, you know. I shook his hand and, uh, you know... Uh, you know, the, met the first black player that, that broke the color barrier in baseball. And Even for a Canadian kid, that meant a great deal. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it was. And uh, there were some pictures taken. And uh, then. Of the two it, of you? Uh, yeah. Do was, you have any of those pictures? I have a couple, yeah, in my, uh, in my um, uh, home. Um, then in um, 1961, I was traded to the Los Angeles Blades, the team in, in Los Angeles. And in 1962, the NAACP had a luncheon for Mr. Robinson uh, in one of the hotels in, in uh, North Hollywood. I uh, received an invitation through the hockey club, went to the, uh, went to the, the, the hotel, and Mr. Robinson was standing over in, uh, offside talking to some media people, and the coach of the, um, the Los Angeles team and myself and two other players were standing waiting for Mr. Robinson to finish. When he finished, the coach came over and said, Mr. Robinson, I'd like to introduce you to three of the player, local players here, especially Willie O'Ree, newly acquired from the Hull Ottawa Canadians in the Eastern Professional Hockey League. And when uh, Mr. Robinson looked at me and he said, Willie O'Ree, he says, uh, aren't you the young fellow I met in, uh, in New York? So he remembered me from 1949 to 1962. And I, I mean, that was, that was just a feat in itself that he, you know, he remembered me all those years of the thousands of millions of people that he had met over the years, you know, he pointed me out and said, yeah, I remember you. More of our conversation with Willie O'Ree and next segment, you're going to learn about something not too many people know. Willie O'Ree played more than 20 years of professional hockey blind in his right eye. (sighs) The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. One other thing you should know about Willie O'Ree, his grandparents came to Canada via the Underground Railroad. Willie O'Ree is a descendant of slaves, born in New Brunswick, Canada. As I said, he played his entire professional career blind in his right eye, and after retiring from pro hockey, worked with the NHL to bring hockey to underserved minority communities across the country. When you think about... uh players of color and this league and this sport, is there still a disconnect or is there a merging happening gradually? I think there's a, I think there's a merging uh, happening, you know, gradually. I think that, uh, you know, that, you know, I broke into the league. I was the only black player, you know, in the league for, for a number of years. Not until 1974 was another black player even Mike drafted. Mar- Mike Morrison, you know, I come up. But now, you know, with uh, 32 teams, 
uh, in the league with the addition of uh, Seattle, um, you know, there's more black players and players of color now that are playing on, on the different teams. And it's, uh, it's good to see. It's, it's good to see these players. And they're there because not, of the, not only because they're black, they're there because they have the skills and the ability to play in the league. And it's a great sport. It is. I'm kind of prejudiced. I think it's the greatest sport on earth. But, why, why do you love it so much? Uh, I think I was just, I, I was, you know, I started skating at the age of three and I started playing hockey at the age of five. And I, 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 was, I was obsessed with playing the sport. Once I found out what I could do on a pair of skates and maneuver a stick and a puck and, and, then, you know, and then growing up and playing in the different teams, um, I just grew to, to love the sport. And, uh, you know, I, uh, the work that I'm doing with the NHL now, I just want to <clears throat> open it up to any boy or girl that wants to play hockey. Uh, give them the opportunity to play. And if they don't want it or don't like it, they can walk away from it. Tell me about the work you do with the NHL. Uh, it's, um, I, I, I was doing a lot of traveling at that time before this pandemic started back in, in 2020. Um, what I would do is I'd travel North America to um, elementary schools, middle schools, junior high schools, boys and girls clubs, juvenile detention facilities, YMYWCAs, anywhere where there were boys and girls that, you know, I, I thought we'd like to play hockey as a sport. And uh, I'd go and talk to them and uh, get them organized in um, different teams and get, get them playing. And uh, I've been doing this now for going on 25 years, I believe. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's the just NHL great. reached out to you. They did in 1996, yeah. Brian McBride, who was the newly appointed uh, vice president of the diversity program, uh, found out, <clears throat> excuse me, found out that I was in San Diego, and it, it was it was kind of uh, funny how 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 he got in contact with me. Um, there was a meeting in New York. Uh, Brian McBride, uh, Lou Vero, who was uh, with Special Events, uh, the, the USA Hockey, and four or five other gentlemen were there, and uh, they wanted to kind of merge uh, the NHL and and uh, USA Hockey and open the sport up to any boy or girl who wants to play. Well, Jackie Robinson's came up during the conversation, and they said, oh, yeah, Robinson broke the color barrier. Mr. Robinson broke the color barrier in 1947 and opened it up for not only players of color, but black players. And, and Lou Vero, just out of the blue, Lou Vero says, well, we have our own Jackie Robinson in hockey. And the, the room kind of went silent. And they, everybody looked around and said, well, who is it? And so Lou Vero said, well, it's Willie O'Ree. Um, I uh, was living in New York and watched him play at the old Madison Square Gardens when he played with the Bruins. And then Brian McBride says, well, uh, do you know where he, where he is now? And uh, Lou says, well, I believe he's out in San Diego uh, playing in that, uh, with the San Diego Gulls. So um, uh, Brian said, well, I'm going to see if I can get a hold of him to um, see if he'd like to get involved with this program. So Brian called uh, the San Diego Gulls, and apparently they, they couldn't get him. And uh, he tried uh, several other uh, ways to try and get home. And then he knew a couple of FBI gentlemen in, in San Diego. So he called them and said, uh, yeah, he says, uh, maybe you can help me out. Uh, would you try and find out where Mr. O'Ree is? I know he's in the San Diego area. So a few hours later, the FBI called back and said, yeah, he's working at the Hotel Del Coronado over in Coronado Island. So then Brian called me over there and introduced himself and said, So I'm, you were momentarily involved in a low-level FBI investigation. <laughs> yeah, 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 sort of. <laughs> yeah. When they mentioned the FBI, I said, oh God, I was thinking, what did I do? Did I get a parking ticket or what, what happened? Why are they looking for me? Well, I was a little hesitant on the phone, you know. I says, this guy's calling me from the NHL and I've never met him before. So anyway, he kind of 
laid out the program and it was something that I'd be interested in and um, you know I fell in love with um, the work and I've been doing it now for about 25 years. You're not only the first black player in the NHL, I believe you're one of the only, if not the only, player who played any time in the NHL with the ability to see through just one eye. <laughs> yeah, there was a, there was a uh, I had an unfortunate accident. It happened my, uh, my last year junior. I was playing uh, with the Kitchener-Waterloo Junior Canucks uh, out of Kitchener, Ontario, and we were play- playing in Guelph. And, uh, uh, you know, at, back then, no, none of the players wore any helmets, no face shields, no cages, no protection on your face. And it was just a, uh, it was a slap shot from the point, a ricochet. I'm in front of the net for a deflection. The puck came up and hit me flat in the right eye and broke, uh, broke my nose. Broke, uh, and uh, I lost 97% vision in my right eye. And, you know, I remember dropping down to the ice. And the next thing I knew, I'm being placed in an ambulance and taken to the, taken to the hospital. Uh, Dr. Henderson was the surgeon. And uh, I remember him coming to my um, recovery room and standing by my bedside and, and telling me that uh, the impact of the puck completely shattered the retina, um, and I'd be I'd be blind in my right eye, and I'd you know I'd never play hockey again. Well, you know I kind of slumped back in my hospital bed, and you know the goals and dreams that I had set for myself about not only playing professional but hopefully one day playing in the NHL were gone. So. Uh, I remained in the hospital about another three or four days. I got out within the next five weeks. I'm back on the ice, you know, practicing. And being a left-hand shot and playing left wing to compensate, I, I had to turn my head all the way around to the left to pick the puck up with my left eye because I couldn't see it on my right eye. And I was over skating the puck and missing the net and, you know, getting hit. Guys were hitting me that never hit me before, you know, and I just, I just couldn't see them coming on my blind side. So I just uh, I said, forget about what you can't see and just concentrate on what you can see. So the season ends. Now I've, I'm going back to Fredericton, my hometown, and I either have to turn pro or play for, or, um, play amateur because my, uh, I had played my last year junior, and I had kept my fingers crossed that I'd be contacted by a professional team. So I arrive home, and um, I get a call from Punch Emlack, who is the coach and general manager of the Quebec Aces, the professional team up in Quebec, Canada. And uh, he said, Willie, I watched you play the last couple of years, and uh, I'd like to invite you to training camp. So I tell my parents that I'm going to the professional training camp, and I tell my, my close friends in Fredericton, they're all happy about me. And uh, so I go up to Quebec, and um, I don't tell them that I, that I, I can't see out of my right eye because I never took an eye exam. Uh, they were just uh, concerned about your physical condition, and I, I always kept myself in good shape and, and, and worked out. So I made the team, but I, I didn't disclose. I, I can't see it. I'm running. So I, I'm, I'm playing left wing, play, and uh, we won the league that year. And, um, you know, I, I scored 25, 28 goals. And um, I said, well, Willie, he says, you can do anything you set your mind to do. Don't worry about being blind in your right eye. Just forget about it and go out and work hard. So played there that year. And then, as I mentioned, I went to the Bruins training camp, in, in, you know, in 1957 and 58. The Bruins called me up and... And uh, I played 21 years pro with one eye, and I never sat in front of an eye machine in the, the 21, 21 years I played. And the idea of rearranging my brain and rearranging my game to compensate for not being able to see out of one eye is, is just astonishing to me. How did you do that? <laughs> I, I don't know. I just I, I forgot about being blind, you know. And then um, I went to, <clears throat> I was playing in Los Angeles, and in, in 1965, um, I came to the training camp, 
and Alfie Pike was the coach. And when I arrived at the training camp, he had uh, two or three. Uh, no, he only had uh, two right wingers, and he had about seven or eight left wingers. So um, he said, Willie, have you ever played right wing? And I said, no, I've always played left wing, you know, being a left-hand shot. And he says, he says, I'd like you to try right wing. He says, I could use your speed on the right side. So now I switch from left wing over to right wing. Now the boards are here. Now I don't have to be doing this because I can see the puck in the play. And I played uh, right wing the last 12 years of my career. And I, um, I won the goal scoring in 1965. Um, and then I won it again in San Diego in 1969, and just due to the fact that I switched over. I'm Major Garrett. This is a special episode of The Takeout devoted to Willie O'Ree. Back in a moment. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. Something really big happened in Willie O'Ree's life this very week. Congress awarded him with the Congressional Gold Medal. We talked to the two co-sponsors of that initiative, Michigan Senator Debbie Stabenow and Illinois Congressman Democrat Mike Quigley. Mike Quigley, you should know, also as a youth and as an adult, played hockey. Uh, Senator, starting with you, what's Willie mean to you? Well, first of all, in getting to know Willie, he's an amazing man. And then when you look at his story, which I originally didn't know. I mean, we in Michigan love hockey. And through his Hockey for Everyone program, we have young people that have benefited from his role as a mentor and someone going all around Michigan and uh, encouraging kids to get into hockey. But when you look at the fact that he, that as an amateur, you know, he gets hit in the eye and loses his sight in his right eye. And they tell him, hey, you got to try something else. And he goes on anyway and becomes the first back player in the NHL and uh, does all the things that he's done. I mean, he really is somebody that exemplifies courage and, uh, you know, what we want as a role model for our kids as as somebody who really is um, very focused on making a difference in people's lives. Congressman, uh, Willie could have played longer had the league been bigger, true? Oh, I think in today's age he could have had a 20-year NHL career back then with six teams uh, but even with that uh, when the league expanded in the late 60s you know had he been younger at that point he would have been playing so you know he missed that opportunity along with a, a lot of other greats who played in places like San Diego. Do you think of his career as something that is akin to Jackie Robinson? You know in some respects probably worse because there was an an anonymity to it, right? I mean, everyone knew Jackie Robinson was coming, and that was just extraordinary and horrible what Jackie went through. But, but Willie had to do it with almost no fanfare, right? Almost the opposite. And he's lived his post-career in, in the same sort of anonymity, and he's just sort of a mild-mannered, unassuming uh, person who took it all in stride and, and it didn't seem to be when I met him bitter about any of it it makes him all the more amazing 
you're a hockey player yourself. He has a hard time communicating how difficult it was, because for him it wasn't difficult, just something he adjusted to, playing the game with the use of just one eye. Yeah. How to describe that? Well, first of all, hockey, you have to have a vision. They talk about great players like Bobby Orr and Wayne Gretzky having a vision. Um, some of that's just being able to see and anticipate how anyone could do that on a fraction of the level with only one eye is incredible. But you'll also lose depth perception. Uh, so I, I don't think most of us can get through the pregame warm-up skate uh, with vision in only one eye. Uh, and the fact that he knew he had to hide that and not tell anyone and couldn't use this as an excuse if he missed something uh, tells us so much more about his personality, what kind of great man he is. Senator, do you feel that this is an overlooked story of American sports and American life and Congress is kind of late to the table on this? I do think that it's been overlooked uh, at every level. I'm so glad the NHL has lifted him out, uh, lifted him up, and uh, really brought his story to me. I had not myself uh, met him before the NHL was uh, sharing with me his story. And then it became very clear that we needed to do something. And so uh, the highest civilian honor that we give and in Congress is uh, the Congressional Gold Medal. And he is absolutely deserving of that. Jackie Robinson received that, by the way. Joe Lewis from Detroit received that. Uh, Jack Nicholas. there are a whole bunch of sports figures. But we, I believe, have overlooked hockey and the importance of the first black player in the National Hockey League. And when you started talking to your colleagues, did any of them know who Willie was? No. How about no. you, Mike? Very, very few knew who he was. Um, and um, you know, some of this was an educational process. But I'll be honest, I grew up not knowing who Willie was. Yeah. It wasn't until I got to Congress that I even heard his name. Hmm. Was it a hard sell once you had the conversation, no, Senator? No, in fact, people would go, the first black player in the NHL, wow. And, and so then they were saying, sign me up. You know, this, this is a story that needs to be told. And there was a reception done uh, as we began to promote this reception here in the Senate. A number of colleagues came. Of course, there have been documentaries now and the story getting out there of his life, really his whole life, I mean, in terms of who he was, believing in himself, having the courage to step forward, and the, the commitment to keep going when, when he was told, ah, you only have one sight and one eye, you better try something else. And he just kept going anyway. And what a wonderful story, all, all the challenges that he went through. What a wonderful story for young people. Congressman, uh, <clears throat> it strikes me that there is something else about the Willie O'Ree story. His grandparents, as he related to us, came to Canada on the railroad. Yeah. They escaped slavery in South Carolina, settled in Canada. His parents were born there, he was born there. So there is something that links Canada, the United States, our tortured past to our present. I think that's all the more reason he's important. In the end, sports only matters when it transcends itself, right? When something that someone does means more than just the sport itself. So uh, in many respects, uh, Willie is a link to our past and this nation's original sin. And the fact that he was able to overcome the hurdles, the physical hurdles we've already talked about, but generationally having to go through the, the, the extraordinary savages of slavery and his ancestors, uh, moving to Canada, 
and, and still dealing with the prejudices that he faced. Uh, it, it's why his story matters. And f- for me, the thing that Willie said that made this both the most disturbing and the most important was that his visits to Chicago were the worst. That when he went to the Chicago Stadium as a Boston Bruin, the fans were the worst in the league, and so were the players. It's tough to hear because these were my heroes growing up, and to to hear that you know, you know, many of those same players and the fans that I you know later on would share seats with were the worst. Uh, represented to a large part the history of our country and the culture that we all share and uh, what Willie had to overcome and the work we still have to do. You know, given all of that, I think it's important to look at the fact that this is not a bitter man. This is somebody who is, has a joyous spirit. He and his wife are wonderful. He turned right around and began to give back to young people. And so that's the second piece of the story that is very important and it's a wonderful lesson for all of us. I'm glad you mentioned that, Senator. Having spent about four and a half hours with him recently, it is impossible to detect even an iota of bitterness in Willie. He has a sense of gratitude, even though there are a lot of hard knocks and difficulties and, as you said, bitter, right-in-his-face racism. He feels privileged, honored, benefited mm-hmm. by everything he's experienced in Canada and in the United States. That's yeah. a resilience of a certain kind, it seems to me. Well, and I think at this moment, right now, in our country where there's so much division, um, Willie O'Ree is an example of somebody that went through discrimination, racism, tough times, uh, dealing with you know, a handicap, with losing uh, sight in one eye, but none of that was an excuse not to go on and to be the best that he could be and then turn around and want to help others and share that joy and that enthusiasm for the sport and create opportunity for others. And we need that now more than ever. In the final analysis, every kid who wants to play hockey should get that chance. So it's totally appropriate that what Willie wants to do now is move forward with his programs to give every kid a chance to do what he did. Pick up a hockey stick, and if they don't make the NHL great, they can do what you and I did. Just go out there and have fun, the greatest sport in the world. So I I think it wraps up the story of his life and what his uh, his grandparents went through that tore that in. It's equal opportunity for all things that we enjoy. Well, I think what's most important is that his story is finally being told and he is fully being appreciated with the high civilian honor that the Congress of the United States can give, which is the Congressional Gold Medal. He, he deserves it. Um, he is uh, someone we're excited to give it to and is a wonderful example of an American. More on this amazing story of a Canadian and American hero, Willie O'Ree. I'm Major Garrett. This is the Takeout Segment 3 coming up. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. 
Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. Yes, this gold medal from Congress happened this week. Big thing for Willie O'Ree, but also something else happened. Something almost as rare. The Boston Bruins, who has a hockey club, don't retire that many numbers, retired Willie O'Ree's number, 22. He played just two seasons in the NHL, but he was, in every way, shape, and form, a pathbreaker, a trailblazer in the NHL. There wasn't another black player in the NHL until 1974. Remember, Willie O'Ree broke in in 1958. More of our conversation right here at The Takeout. Well, it's uh, really, it's, it was a great feeling, you know, as, as I... As I said, you know, I, I only played 45 games in the uh, in the NHL, and um, I didn't think that was enough to <laughs> retire a number. But apparently, it's been the work that I've been doing with the uh, with the NHL, um, the Hockey is for Everyone program, being involved with that, and uh, all the kids I've been involved with over the years. But uh, I mean, I'm I'm thrilled. Now there's an effort in Congress. I know you're aware of it to give you the gold okay. medal. How about that? <laughs> There's been so many wonderful things that have been uh, happening to me in my life, you know, since I've been working with the with the NHL, you know, and uh, uh, the Order of Canada, for for instance, and then uh, you know, then I had a uh, a coin, uh, a twenty dollar coin piece, uh, uh, that, that's out uh, with my likeness on one side and the Queen, the Queen on the other. Uh, so there's just been you know several things, and it's. It's been it's it's just been great, really. I and I've said this over that I've really been a I've really been blessed over the over the years for some of the things that have happened to me. So I don't need to tell you that in the last year and a half, two years, this country has really gone through another convulsive phase in its assessment of and understanding or misunderstanding of race and racial issues in our yeah. country. How has that affected you? How do you view it? What's your perspective on it? Well, you know that um, you know when I when I played in the league, you know there were only six teams in the NHL. It was called the original six, and uh, being the only black player, you know I was I was faced with uh, you know racism, prejudice, bigotry, and ignorance. You know every game I played, but you know I just let it win in one ear and out the other. I I, I knew the individual that I was. I I knew uh, the goal that I had set for myself and what I wanted to do and. You know, to me, I, I knew I was a black player, and um, uh, if people didn't want to accept me for the individual that I am, then it, that was their problem, you know, not, not mine. And I Did America at, at that time feel an unjust place to you? Um, I, don't, I don't think so. I just think it, uh, I just think it was the players uh, on some of the opposition teams that I played, fans, some fans in the stands, you know, that... They, I, I guess they just, uh, it was hard for them to see, a, a, you know, a black man on the ice playing in a white man's sport. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I just went out and stayed focused on what I wanted to do. I had the support of the, um, of the team and, and the organization. And, that, you know, that's what I felt good about, that I just wasn't out there alone. Because uh, even now, there are people of color who say America is still, from their perspective, a fundamentally unjust place. That systemic racism is... A deeply embedded problem in this country and I wonder if and I'm not asking you to give an ultimate pronouncement on that no one person can but as you've listened and watched that debate what kind of thoughts have come to you 
Well, I just, um, you know, I look at it and I, I just can't, uh, I can't realize why people can accept people for who they are, regardless of the color of their skin. You know, uh, there are, you know, there are brown people, black people, uh, white people, um, and you know, um, when you look at a person, uh, you should just look at them uh, as, as just an individual. Like, you know, uh, Martin Luther King said, you know, don't judge a person by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. And I think that's, that's a good saying, you know, just to look at a person for who they are and forget about, you know, the color of their skin. And, but some people just can't, they just can't accept that. You know, they, uh, they're just the prejudiced, um, bigotry type people that, that exist. And I don't think you're not going to change, you're not going to change a lot of them. Um, you, but you just have to take it a day at a time and, and uh, you know, hope that things will get better. Do you think there's something fundamentally wrong with America when it comes to race or that it may feel that way, but it really isn't that way? No, I, I don't think so. I think, you know, there's, there's racism in Canada, not to the extent that there is in, in, in the U.S., but, the, you know, there's, there's more people in, in, in the U.S. than there is in Canada. And the, and the, the thing is, um, some of the areas, like when I, um, when I travel and I go into the... Um, go in and watch a hockey game, you know, and, and I, I look around and see how many people of color are there, and there's, there's not that many, you know, at the, at the, at the game, but there's going, there's, <clears throat> there's starting to be a lot more now because they've been educated and they've been watching, um, you know, watching the television and, and, and watching the games, but, um, you know, there's still, I've, <clears throat> I've still had people come up to me and uh, make racial remarks to me, you know, here in San Diego at a, at a gas station or, or, you know, sitting having coffee with some friends, you know, they just, and even uh, now, yeah, even now. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I don't, uh, I don't think anything of it. I mean, they're just, you know, if they make, they make a comment of me, I do, I don't go up and try to do anything. Uh, I know I know the things that I've done and the, the the things that I've accomplished over the over the years, and I know the I know the person uh, that I am, you know, um, and so I, I feel good about myself. In your life, uh, there has been an ongoing conversation among athletes, particularly athletes of color. How much of an activist should you be? What's your thought about what athletes should or shouldn't do when it comes to things that they think are either wrong or need to be discussed in a different way outside of sports? Well, I think it's just entirely up to the individual, you know, how they feel within themselves, you know. When, um, when they play the national anthem, you know, I, I stand up for the national anthem and, you know, I, I put my hand over my That's just me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't talk about, you know, somebody else, but that's just the way I feel. And uh, I've, always, uh, I've always felt that way, uh, you know, during my, during my career. And um, I think I'll always feel that way, uh, you know, through, throughout the rest of my life. But, um, you know, d- different people have different feelings, and uh, um, then they, they, act, they act on, on those feelings. Is there anything wrong with athletes being political? I don't think so. Uh, I really don't think so, you know. Um, you know, again, uh, people have their own thoughts and, and um, think, you know, what... What they what they should do. I know the difference between you know good and bad. You know, uh, I've always been a person that um, you know um, thinks about the other person and uh, and how I'd like to be treated, um, and that's the way I've lived. And do you think, in general, it's harder for black athletes to make that decision because they uh, imagine probably legitimately that there are greater risks involved? Oh yeah, there there are. You know. Uh, 
I know, you know, I had to be better than some of the other white players, um, you know, when I played. When I went to training camp, I had to be better than some of them. And, you know, I, I just took it in my mind that uh, if I go to camp and they're going to keep 20 players, I'm going to be one of the play, one of the 20, regardless of what I have to do. And uh, I forgot about being being a black, you know, being a black hockey player. I just went to camp as, as just a hockey player. And and um, what my mind, uh, my mind setting was on what I wanted to do and uh, the things I wanted to accomplish. I hope you've been enjoying, maybe as much as I have, the special edition of The Takeout. No politics, public policy. I haven't even squeezed in any comedy. Just a tribute to someone who is a hero of mine, was growing up in San Diego, Willie O'Ree. Stay tuned for The Takeout Outtake Especial, where our conversation with Willie continues. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett. Special edition of The Takeout devoted entirely to the story the life, the memories, the experiences of Willie O'Ree, the first black player in the NHL, someone who flourished in minor league hockey, scored lots and lots of goals, was a really important player throughout his minor league career. He actually won scoring titles twice as a minor league hockey player, an idol of mine growing up in San Diego. Willie O'Ree also has a lot to say about the way hockey is played now, the way players are compensated now, things he's observed and watched as the game has matured in America, and more and more black players have gotten involved. Continuing our conversation with the great Willie O'Ree. When you think about how much money is in the league now, <laughs> what do you think? Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> more power to you, you know. Um, when I look at, the, you know, a uh, million dollars, uh, you know, back 20, 30 years ago was was a lot of money. My goodness, I remember when when uh, John Bellaby went up with the, with the Canadians. He wanted a hundred thousand dollars, and they told him there's not a hockey player on earth worth a hundred thousand dollars. Well, look at today. Do you remember what you made in your most extravagant or high-paid year? I played with uh, played here in San Diego. I made fifteen five. Fifteen thousand five hundred. Yep. When I went up with the Bruins, I made nine five. Nine thousand. I was making sixty five hundred. Playing, and then when I went up at the Bruins, I made 9500 9, 9, mm-hmm. But the most money I ever made was fifteen five, and that was my last year I played here with the uh, uh, San Diego Hawks. Right, that was the team after the Gulls. That's right. right. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Ronnie Ingram was Ronnie Ingram was the coach, and I had retired. You know, I had retired, and, and uh, um, a very dear friend of mine, and, and uh, who was the um, voice of the Gulls, Ronnie Oaks. Ron came, comes to me and said, Willie, he says, uh, Ron wants you to come out and try out for the, for, the, for the Hawks. I said, oh, God, no. I said, I, you know, I'm, I'm 40, 44 years old. I said, I'm not going to. No, he says, he wants you to try out. So I went and tried out and made the team. Again, you know, I didn't have an eye, an eye exam. You know, I was still, still blind in the right eye. Went out and made the team and, and played that year. And then I, 
you know, I retired after I played, but I was 45 when I, 45 when I retired. Yeah, but 15,000. Back then, that was big money. I mean, you know, shoot, <laughs> compared to today. Right. And you don't begrudge players now for making what oh, they gosh, make? Oh, gosh, no. You know, I'd have liked to have stayed and played in the, in the league, but no. Um, they're there because they have the skill and the ability to be there. And we're talking, I'm talking about the, not only the black players and the players of color, but the players that are playing in the league now. And um, I have more power to them that, the, that they're there and they're displaying their skills and their talent. Who was the best player you ever on the ice with? In uh, that you saw? Gordy, Gordy Howe. Back in back when I was back in the '60s, I mean, you know, yeah. People forget because they remember how long he played, how good he was. Yeah. What made him so good? Uh, he just he was just Gordy Howe. He just uh, he just had the the skills and the talent within himself, you know. He and, was that era's Wayne Gretzky, the greatest. Oh yes, yeah, and the Rocket and Bobby Hull and there's there's so many of them, the greats that played, and I'm just so happy that I had the had the opportunity to play with and, and against uh, a lot of those players. It was a nice feeling. And, uh, you know, I've met them over the years, the ones that have passed away that I've, that I've met prior to their passing, you know, shook hands with them. And, and uh, it was just a, it was a nice feeling to know that, you know, I, I played in the league with those, those players. When you meet young people around the country, what kind of things do they ask you? What kind of things do you try to leave them with? Well, they, they asked me, do I live in a big mansion? And <laughs> I, said, I said, no, not really. I just, I just live in a, just a, a very comfortable home. Um, do, you love, did you, do you make a lot of money? And I said, you know, um, if they ask me what I made, I, you know, I tell them what I made. And, you know, I'm just honest with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said it. Uh, and then some of them that didn't know that I played with one eye, and they found out about, about it, you know, they just, they were in awe. They just said, how did, you, how did you manage to play with, you know, sticks and pucks and everything flying around and, the, you know, the skating and the body contact and everything? And I said, well, just part of the game. And, I, you know, I forgot about being blind and uh, just went out and, and played, my, played my game. In different parts of this interview, you've said two things. I forgot about being blind and I forgot about being black. That's a lot. Yeah. To forget about. You know, I just went out. Just, I was just another hockey player. And that's the one thing that, that, um, that Coach Mill Schmidt and um, General Manager Lynn Patrick told me, you know, when I went up to play with the, the, the Canadians, you know, in 58. He says, yeah. He says, well, he says, you're just another Bruins. He says, uh, forget about uh, uh, what's happening and just go out and, uh, and play your game. And basically that's what I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you see yourself now at the stage of your life and with all the things that have happened, the coin, the gold medal, the retiring of the number, as a symbol larger than you can live up to? Oh. Does it feel that way ever? Like, wow, all this stuff is, I, I'm just Willie, I'm just me. I, that's, that's, that's the way I look at it, really. Uh, I, don't, I don't gloat about, uh, you know, um, some of the things I've accomplished. If people ask me, I said, yeah, I said, I had the, I had the, the pleasure and the honor of, uh, you know, uh, making this accomplishment and, uh, and things. But, uh, no, I'm just, I'm just Willie. And uh, that's, yeah, that's always the way I want to be. It goes without saying that sometimes in your life as a journalist, you get to meet someone maybe who you've always wanted to meet. And in the process of getting to know them, maybe you get a chance to interview them. And maybe tell their story. In every respect, that's what I was able to do with Willie O'Ree. 
I looked up to him as a child, admired him as an adult, and I got a chance to meet him and tell his story. It's been my pleasure and honor to do that. I hope you've enjoyed it. I'm Major Garrett. This has been your Takeout Outtake Especial. We'll see you next week. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian? Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.